Welcome, my name is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and we thank you for taking some time to listen to some audio recordings from the pulpit of the Riverview Baptist Church. Our desire is to show the Lord high, holy, and lifted up, as well as try to be a blessing to those through the Word of God. Please enjoy this message, and we pray that it will be a blessing to your life. And if you wouldn't mind to take your copy of the Word of God and turn with me to the New Testament book of 1 Peter. To the New Testament book of 1 Peter and 1 Peter in chapter number 1. 1 Peter in chapter number 1. We're continuing with our Sunday school series of 1 Peter and the theme of the idea of strengthening the brethren. That with the context that is going on is that persecution is right around the corner. Heavy persecution. Already now early little bit of persecution has already started to hit the church. But full-fledged persecution is right around the corner. And so we would love to see this theme that they're supposed to strengthen the brethren to prepare them to help the Christians to behave like a Christian before the persecution comes and before it becomes difficult to live like a Christian. Now's the time to develop the habit. We've now find our way to the book of 1 Peter chapter number 1. The 1 Peter chapter number 1, and please everyone take their own copy of the Word of God and look for yourself. Notice with me the book of 1 Peter chapter 1. Notice with me, if you don't mind, starting at verse number 18. The book of 1 Peter chapter 1, and notice with me in verse 18. For as much as ye know that ye were not redeemed with corruptible things, as silver and gold, from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot, who verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was made was manifest in these last times for you, who by him do believe in God, that raised him up from the dead, and gave him glory, that your faith and hope might be in God, seeing that ye have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit unto unfeigned love of the brethren, that Ye love one another with a pure heart fervently. And if you're in the habit of marking things in your Bible, would you mark a phrase that is spoken of, the precious blood of Christ, in verse number 19? 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 19. Notice the phrase, the precious blood of Christ. The precious blood of Christ. And as we're continuing the theme, we could see to be strong through the blood. Be strong through the blood. Now, we understand there is no salvation outside of the blood of Jesus Christ. The Bible talks about in the book of Hebrews that without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. There is no remission of sins. We understand the blood of Christ was necessary. Notice the word that we find here in the book of of 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 18. Notice the word in verse 18. It says, For as much as you know that ye were not redeemed 
redeemed. That word redeemed is a powerful Bible word. Now remember that in the Roman days, 75% of the population were, were slaves. And so a lot of the vernacular, a lot of the common speech of that day, had come from that process, that, that um, trade of slaves. The word redeemed is one of those words. It carries the idea to buy back from a slave market. The word redeemed to buy back from a slave market. And with the blood of Jesus Christ, this word aptly describes what the Lord Jesus Christ did. We were a slave unto sin. Because of sin, it has put us in chains and it has put us in bondage. But Jesus Christ bought us. He purchased us from that slave market. He purchased us so we were no longer a slave to sin, the book of Romans describes. He bought us so we were no longer under the penalty of sin. We were redeemed, we were bought, so therefore we were no longer under the control of sin. And what was the price that was required to purchase us from that slavery? What was required to purchase us from that bondage? It required the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Jesus' blood is what was required to pay our price. In fact, the book of uh, Romans chapter 6 and verse 23, it says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. That Jesus Christ purchased us. He bought us with his blood. And he did it for free. It cost us nothing. But it cost him everything. He purchased. He redeemed us by the price of his precious blood. You know the idea of because of our sin something is required to die for the wages of sin is death. Has been something that has been placed in the word of God from the very beginning. You remember Adam and Eve walking in the garden. They lived in a time where they were sinless. And they were tempted by Satan. And they disobeyed God's rule. God only had one rule. And they couldn't even keep that. And because they messed up that one rule. God had made a promise of a redeemer in the book of Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15. But he just didn't give them a promise. He illustrated it. Remember that in order to clothe their nakedness. They were ashamed uh, to be naked before God. That they went and they sewed themselves an old garments from fig leaves. God gave them a change of garments. When he took an innocent lamb. And he shed that lamb and clothed them with the clothes from that animal. You understand, before that time, there was no death. Before the Garden of Eden, there was no death as we recognize death. That something with a breath of life that's able to breathe from the lungs. There was no death of creatures before that time. And now, because of the sin, for the wages of sin is death. And what was required because of their sin to illustratively cover them up was the death of an innocent creature to pay their price, to cover them back up. Well, we understand that illustration from the very beginning was to illustrate exactly what the Lamb of God did for us. That because of our sin, we owed God a great debt. We owed God a great wage. But then Jesus Christ, the perfect Lamb of God, 
For the wages of sin is death. Jesus Christ died for us. And he died as us. And his blood purchased our price. He purchased the price that was required from God. And when he did that, we have the great biblical word, redeemed. He redeemed us. He purchased us with his precious blood. And so as we now come to the book of 1 Peter, notice how it describes this precious blood of Jesus. It describes it as precious. Now, precious is something that we don't use that often. It is a word that you usually don't want to attribute to a young man. For example, if I looked at Josh and looked at him and said, you know what, you're precious. That's probably not the compliment he wants to hear. But the word precious carries the idea of something that is valuable because it is rare. And Jesus Christ's blood is valuable because it is rare. It came from one source, Jesus Christ. And it was precious. It's not like you could find it in abundance. You can't dig for it and it comes out. It comes from one source. And it comes from Jesus Christ. And it was enough to pay for every sin in the world. But you have to go to him to get it. So with that in mind, let's explore this passage of 1 Peter chapter number 1. And let's understand a little bit more about this word redemption and the price that was required because of the shed blood of Jesus Christ. The first thing that we see here is the price of redemption. The price of redemption. Notice with me in the book of 1 Peter chapter 1. Notice with me starting at verse 18. 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 18. For as much as ye know that ye were not redeemed with corruptible things, as silver and gold from your vain conversation received by the tradition of your fathers. Notice this. We were not redeemed as silver and gold. What does that mean? That means you can't purchase your salvation. In a, the newspaper USA Today, many years ago, what they did is they did a survey of the top 1% of wealth in the world, in America specifically. Maybe it was the top 10%, but it was the top tier of wealth. And what they did is they sent a survey and they said, if you could purchase anything, real or imagined, mythical, fairy tale, if you could purchase anything, what would you, your top purchases be and how much would you be willing to pay for it? And on there, the top 10% of wealth in America put things like eternal youth. And they put things like uh, good health forever. And they did different other things. But number one on their list, far and above everything else, was eternal life. And they were willing to pay for it, this idea of eternal life, a home and a heaven, upwards to $1 million dollars. In order to receive this eternal life. Now the last time I looked. We don't have millionaires in here. In fact we doubtful if we have thousandaires in here. And so if it was required. That we could purchase our salvation. And that the price tag was one million dollars. Most of us would have no chance at it. But when you think about it. Gold and silver, that was not good enough. That could not buy anyone freedom from sin. That could not forgive anyone sin. Because the Bible says, for the wages of sin is death. 
that because of our sin. Now let's define sin. What is sin? Sin is just quite simply breaking God's law. Missing the mark. Let me give you an example. Inside of the Bible, we have something called the Ten Commandments. They're God's rules of holiness. In one of the Ten Commandments, it says to, to honor thy father and thy mother. Well, we could say it like this, to obey your folks. Well, let's do a survey in here ourselves. How many have ever disobeyed your folks before? Well, according to that, we have broken God's law. We're considered sinners. Well, let's do another survey. According to the Bible and the Ten Commandments, it says that we are to not bear false witness. We could just say it like this. We're not supposed to tell lies. Well, let's do a survey. How many of you have ever told a lie before? Right? If you're not raising your hand, you're a liar. We've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. There is none righteous, no, not one. And so the wage for one little lie is death. For the wages of sin is death. The wage for one time of disobeying my folks is death. For the wages of sin is death. And dear friend, we'd probably freely admit that we've done more than one sin. And so the wage that we owe because of our sin is death. Therefore, money doesn't equivalent death. It doesn't pay for it. What is death? Well, it's separation from God. But something had to die. In order for us to be free. In order for us to purchase our, our price to be purchased. For us to be redeemed. And that's what the Lord Jesus Christ did. That was the price required. It was not by corruptible things. It was by the precious blood of the Lamb. Notice with me verse 19. But with the precious blood of Christ as a lamb without blemish and without spot. That carries the idea that Jesus was perfect. Before someone uh, could sacrifice an animal uh, for the Hebrew sacrifices, the first thing the priest would have to do is they would have to inspect the animal to make sure that it was acceptable, meaning that there had to be no spot, no blemish, meaning that if the, um, if the lamb was, had one leg shorter and it just kind of walked around, it would not be acceptable. It had to be nothing wrong with it. But they just wouldn't look on the outside. What they would do is they would actually take the lamb and they would cut it open. And they would look on the inside as well. To make sure there was no spot, no blemish. That, you know, you could look good on the inside or outside. But the inside be all corrupted and nasty and filled with tumors. And they had to make sure that that, that lamb was spotless inside and out. Jesus Christ was the perfect man because he was God robed in flesh. He never sinned. He never disobeyed his folks. He never did anything wrong. He was perfect. And because he lived a perfect life, he didn't have to die for his sins. He was then able to pay the price for our sins with that precious blood, that lamb without spot. He paid that price to redeem our souls so we would no longer require that debt of hell, that debt of death that we had owed God. Jesus paid it for us. We see the price of redemption. Notice the second thing here. We see the plan of redemption. The plan of redemption. Notice with me in verse number 20. Who verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world was made manifest in these last times for you. Now this is an important verse. This tells us that this was not a rescue mission 
it was the plan all along. What do I mean by that? Well, imagine, if you don't mind, that you have firefighters. And the firefighters, before a fire, they don't know the fire is coming. So you could look at them and they could be jovial. They could be talking with each other. They could be resting, whatever. And then the bell rings and they immediately change their demeanor, change their attitude, and prepare to go rescue. There is more of a responsive, reactive. But Jesus Christ didn't die on the cross as a response to our sin. He, Jesus Christ, was the plan to be the lamb slain before the foundation of the world. He, this was always the plan. That before there was creation, there was always a plan that Jesus Christ was going to die for sinful man. Isn't that a wonderful Savior? That God didn't just create creation and then go, oh no, they messed everything up. What am I going to do? Hey, angels, come with me. What do we do? Jesus didn't have to come up, or God didn't have to come up with a backup plan. Before he even created man. He already had the plan to redeem man. Jesus was not the backup plan. He was always the plan. God had this plan. Technically, you could say it this. Redemption is better than creation. Because creation was going to be corrupted. Redemption was something God had planned from the beginning. To redeem God's creation. This price has been paid. Jesus Christ planned for it. Before there was a planet earth. Jesus Christ was already ordained, set to pay our price at the cross of Calvary. So we come to the price of redemption. We talked about the plan of redemption. One more thing we want to see from this text here is that we want to see here, <coughs> excuse me, the proof of redemption. The proof of redemption. Notice with me in verse number 21. Who by him do believe in God that raised him from the dead. Now, here is a good question. How do we know that Jesus paid our price? I mean, he was historically nailed to the cross. He was beaten like nobody else before. Medically, he went through so much to lose so much blood. And he began to go through a process called hypovolemic shock. That his heart began to uh, try to pump what little fluid he had to the rest of the body, but it continued to pour out. Eventually, the heart was beating so fast that the periocardial sac, which wrapped around it, started to squeeze upon it. The periocardial sac is a smooth muscle that is meant to reduce friction of a heart that's beating fast. However, what was happening with the periocardial sac in order to try to reduce the friction actually squeezed on the heart more, and now it has to work even harder with the outside forces squeezing upon it. And eventually that periocardial sac was too strong of a force and the heart grew too weak. And then finally Jesus died. The official cause of death, he died of a broken heart, a periocardial infusion. He died, his heart stopped working. He died on the cross. It's historical. He didn't just swoon or faint, he died. They put him in a borrowed tomb. And even the disciples said, this is it. What do we do now? Everything's over. Everything we prepared for. How do we know that Jesus paid our price? Because on the third day, Jesus Christ rose again. That is the evidence that Jesus Christ paid our price. That is the proof that God accepted the payment that Jesus made. 
was this idea that Jesus rose from the grave. This is why the resurrection of Jesus Christ is such a precious doctrine, a precious teaching. Because it is the proof that Jesus was accepted in his payment. That God accepted the payment. That he rose again. Notice again with me in verse number 21. Who by him do believe in God that raised him from the dead. That God raised Jesus up from the dead. And gave him Jesus glory. That your faith and hope might be in God. Isn't that a wonderful God? That he just didn't say, all right, Jesus is the son of God. He's my son. He's going to die for you. Period. The end. Well, that would be hard to swallow then. Because we would say he's dead. We could go to his grave. We could go and visit it. And we would just have to set up. Well, I guess this is who died for us. Anybody could claim that. But the idea, the fact that Jesus didn't stay dead, he rose again, gives us evidence, gives us hope that if Jesus Christ raised from the dead, I don't serve a dead Savior. I serve a living Savior. Earlier in the book of 1 Peter, it describes it like this. I have a living hope. That word hope is an important word. It doesn't mean wistful or wishful. For example, we're all saying, I hope it's not raining hard when we step out of church today. That's kind of wistful, mystical. The word hope in the Bible means a confident expectation of something or someone sure to come. Our confidence, our hope, our faith is in Jesus Christ. Why? Because he's not dead Because he's a living savior. My hope is in someone who is alive. I have that hope in a living savior. So what proof do I have in a redemption? Well the first proof is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That is the proof that Jesus paid my price. The proof that he was my redemption. But do you know that there is a second proof? A second proof for other people to know that they have, that someone has a risen Savior, that Jesus is alive? Notice with me in verse 22. Seeing ye have purified your souls, how? In obeying the truth through the Spirit unto unfeigned love of the brethren. See that ye love one another with a pure heart fervently. In verse number 22, what it's talking about is that there is a change in our life Because Jesus has redeemed us. You know one of the greatest evidences that shows that the Bible works? The greatest evidence that the Bible is true is the evidence of a changed life. That my life is different because I've accepted Christ. I'm a new creature. Behold, all things have, old things have passed away. Behold, all things become new. I am a different creature in Christ. My life is different. And as God draws me closer, my thinking is different. My behavior is different. I used to be over there. I used to be like that. I used to dress like that, smell like that, act like that. But now I am different. And it's not because of me and because I turned over a new leaf. It's not because I tried harder. It's because Jesus Christ lives within me. That is one of the greatest evidences to others as a testimony that what we say about biblical Christianity is true. Is the evidence of a changed life. Remember, being different is not the goal. Being different is a byproduct of the goal. The goal is God. 
as I follow Christ, I will be different. Now remember the context of 1 Peter. 1 Peter is trying to encourage the Christians to start behaving like a Christian before persecution comes. Why is it such a big deal? Because if you will follow Christ, you will be different. As you follow Christ, you will be different. The problem that we have is that people don't want to be different. They don't like to stand out. But if you are following after Christ, you are going a different direction than the world. And as you follow after Christ, there's going to be more and more of a distance between you and the world. More and more of a distance of how you and the world think. More and more of a distance between how you and the world behave and act. Being different is not the goal, but it is a byproduct of the goal. It is an evidence that I'm following after Christ. That I am different than the world. And now's the time to start behaving as a Christian. Because soon, being different is going to be frowned upon. That if you don't line up the way that people think you should line up. If you don't act and think and behave exactly the way that they say that you should tolerate then you are going to stand out and you are going to receive persecution. And it's going to increase more and more and more. Unfortunately, we're at the time where First Peter is preparatory for us as well. That very soon, and already is here, persecution is going to start coming for all of those who have made a decision to follow after Christ. And they, Christians, are going to have to come to the decision, do I continue to follow after Christ and be different, or do I cease following after the Lord and fit in with the world so I can continue on? And there's a price to pay. And each Christian are going to have to make their own decision to follow after Christ. Now why we have the freedom is the time for you to start getting in the habit of following after Christ. Now why you have the freedom is now the time to start developing the habit of reading the Bible faithfully for yourself before it's illegal to read the Bible. Now's the time to start being faithful to church and developing the habit to be in church because when church is illegal to go to, you will not go if you're already not in the habit of it. Already, there's already plenty of excuses why people don't show up. How do I know? Because I ask them. Hey, we missed you in church today. Well, it was raining. We missed you in church today. Well, it was beautiful out. Well, we missed you in church today. Well, there was a birthday next week, so we decided to celebrate it this week. Well, we missed you today. Well, family decided to do this. Well, and as you've heard this illustration before, well, missed you in church. Well, there's a quart of milk in the refrigerator. What? What does that have to do with anything? The guy said, well, one excuse is as good as another. You understand, now's the time to start developing the habit. Because soon when it's illegal to go to church, if you haven't been faithfully going to church, you're not going to show up. If you haven't been reading your Bible when it's illegal, you say, nuh-uh. Do you know that the Bible is illegal in 72 countries around the world today? If you are found with an Uzbek Bible in the country of Uzbekistan... Three years in prison. You understand, all it takes is a revolution and a change. And all of a sudden, things become different. People don't like the language of the Bible. They don't like what it says. So they outlaw it. It Happens over and over and over. 
And it will not be before too long, and it already is already beginning, where that's going to happen. And if you're not reading your Bible now, you will not read it then. If you are not faithful to church now, you will not be faithful then. If you haven't decided to follow after Christ now, you will not follow after Christ then. To part of, if there's no price to pay now, why would you do it when there is a price to pay? So why, why is this a big deal? Because Christ died for us. He paid my price. And he rose from the grave on the third day and is alive forevermore. I have a living Savior, not a false dead religion. I have a God who loves me and he cares for me. I don't serve God in order to get something from him. I serve God because of what he's already done for me. Why should I read my Bible? Because I'm thankful for what he's done for me. Why should I be faithful to church? Because I'm thankful for what he's done for me. You understand one of the greatest evidences that biblical Christianity is true is the evidence of a changed life. There's something different in me. And someone could identify it and say it's true. It's true. Maybe I could give one final example. I had a young man that we led to the Lord at a missions conference once. And we started to work on discipleship with him. And he began to grow and just be obedient. We give him something to do. He would obey. He was starting to change. And he had a twin brother who was saved and was in a watered down church. And he was watching his brother. Here's this other twin had been saved for a while and kind of stagnated in his Christian life. And just got to the place where it was comfortable. Was never challenged to grow. Just there. And the twin brother who got saved was just growing. And it was making the stagnant Christian look like, man, I'm not growing at all. What in the world happened? I mean, he's just rocketing. One time after a retirement home, I got through preaching to the sweet senior saints, came out and I saw the twin waiting for me at the door. And he said, you, you, whatever you're doing to my brother, do that to me. And so we started discipling. Remember, we define discipleship as developing the habit of obedience to Christ. That we're walking alongside helping people develop these habits. Both of them are missionaries now. Why? Because Christ changes lives. And Christ does something. One of the greatest evidences that what we're saying is true. Is the evidence of a changed life. With that, could that be said of your life? Could someone who's not saved be watching your life and say, I can tell by the way you speak, by the way you act, by the way you respond, you're a Christian? The answer should be yes. If not, may I encourage you, the answer is not to turn over a new leaf. Your answer is to follow after Christ. To make a decision on purpose to follow after him. Christ will do the changing. Your response is to follow after him. Because one of the greatest evidences that this works is the evidence of a changed life. Why is this important? Because Jesus put a precious blood to save me from the bondage of sin. He has changed me. Now I'm responding to him. Thank you for listening to this audio message. This is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and I encourage you to take this information that you just received and make a specific decision to follow after the Lord. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, let me beg you to take the time to receive Jesus Christ for the forgiveness 
of your sins. If you are saved, I encourage you to make a decision in your life to help you get closer with the Lord. If there's anything specific we can do to be a blessing or to pray for you, we encourage you. Look us up on the internet at riverviewbc.com. Once again, that's riverviewbc.com. Or if you would prefer to call us, you can give us a call at area code 920 920- 530-6308. Once again, that number is 920-530-6308. If there's anything we can do to be a blessing or an encouragement to you, please let us know. We would love to make ourselves available. Thank you. Thank you.